It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, November 22nd, 2022. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. When the Sitka Assembly meets tonight, it will accept the resignation of Assemblymember Rebecca Himshoot. Himshoot ran for the House District 2 seat and the Alaska State Legislature this fall, representing Sitka, Petersburg, and surrounding communities. As of the most recent count, Himshoot was leading her challenger, Kenny Carl Scaffelstad, by a wide margin, with over 58 percent of the vote. The Assembly is considering Himshoot's resignation a day before final votes are tallied by the Alaska Division of Elections. Tomorrow, the last wave of absentee votes will be released and ranked choice votes will be tabulated, but that likely won't change Himshoot's lead. In other business, the Assembly will consider on final reading whether it will approve a funding plan for a seaplane base on Japonski Island, which the city plans to fund primarily with federal grants. And it will grant final approval to appropriate just over $8 million in funding for the marine haulout at the Gary Paxton Industrial Park, a measure approved by 80 percent of voters in this fall's municipal election. The Sitka Assembly meets at 6 p.m. tonight. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. Governor Mike Dunleavy told a graduating class of the Alaska Public Safety Academy in Sitka that he had their backs and that both he and the legislature were committed to providing law enforcement with all the resources needed to, quote, do the job the right way. Governor Dunleavy was the keynote speaker for graduation ceremonies held in Sitka on Friday, November 18th. The same day, the Alaska Division of Elections posted new totals for absentee and early ballots, which looked very likely to give Dunleavy the 50 percent of votes needed to win re-election to the office for another four years. In the following excerpt of his keynote remarks, Dunleavy sounded more ideological than he had during the last days of the election campaign, and very much like an incumbent returning for another term with solid support from voters. And I just want you to know that I'll always have your back. The uh, state of Alaska, I view, is different than the, the rest of the United States. We, we haven't had any shootings or lootings or burnings when the rest of the uh, lower 48 and some of our major cities were going through that, um, what I consider to be nonsense. There's no discussion about defunding the police here in the state of Alaska um, by virtually anyone, because we understand the importance that public safety provides. In essence, you provide for us the ability to live the lives that we have uh, in the freest country on the face of the earth, and what I consider to be one of the freest, if not the freest states on the face of the earth. We know that if we get into a bind, you're there. We know that um, if there's a search and uh, rescue issue, uh, that, is, uh, that, that needs your help, you'll be there. We know that uh, in dangerous situations, you'll be there, whether it's with um, uh, other, other folks or wildlife, we know that you're there. Not everyone can do this job. This is a special job for special people. And what we have on the stage here today are special people. And um, as the governor of the great state of Alaska, and on behalf of the people of Alaska, I just wanna thank each and every one of you for choosing this profession. And I wish you nothing but the best, You'll get, um, you'll get tremendous support from myself and I know from the legislature and all of the uh, resources that you'll need to do your job the right way. But in the end, um, I'm very proud of you. And at this moment today, I'm very proud to be um, the governor of this great state and to be here with you in Sitka. That was Governor Mike Dunleavy addressing the latest class of the 17-week law enforcement training program in Sitka. A total of 43 cadets received their badges and will now enter the field as state troopers, wildlife enforcement officers, police officers, and village public safety officers. Major river systems in southeast Alaska start across the U.S.-Canada border, and natural resource development in the transboundary watersheds can have serious effects hundreds of miles away. 
As KSTK's Sage Smiley reports, more than a dozen Southeast Alaska tribal governments and councils are asking the Canadian government to recognize their sovereignty and give them a seat at the decision-making table when natural resource development could affect the communities downstream. The ever-shifting tidal flats of the Stikeen River Delta are peppered with weathered tree trunks, the root systems sticking up like another small forest. For centuries, the Shtachin, the bitter water, and the surrounding land was the territory of chief sheikhs. The tidal passed through generations of leaders of the Stikeen Tlingit people. The 1971 Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act extinguished what it called Aboriginal title to the land, water, hunting, and fishing rights. I call it the failed experiment. Rob Sanderson is the chair of the Southeast Alaska Indigenous Transboundary Commission, or SEITC, a consortium of 15 Southeast tribal governments which aims to protect rivers that sustain communities and culture in Southeast. He's standing on the back deck of a jet boat, idling just past the Stikine Delta. Now we're all at the table like this. Although Southeast Alaska's Tlingit, Haida, and Simpson people are part of the same indigenous groups that exist just a few miles upriver in Canada, Alaska Native people aren't recognized as sovereign nations by Canada's government. The jet boat is carrying a cross-border group of environmental advocates and tribal leaders upriver. Today's focus is the Stikine, the fastest-flowing navigable river in North America. It was named one of the 10 most endangered rivers in America by nonprofit environmental organization American Rivers in 2019 because of the potential impacts from mine development. Everything we protect is pretty, um, pretty amazing to, to get, you know, like up with what we're up against. Haida leader Guja, who goes by his mononymous Khadkil name, also stands on the back deck. But yet, for our own people at the village level, it's not a gain, it's just really it's just preventing a loss. So we're not gaining anything, you know, people look and see that the trees over there are still there, or they're in it, but that's how it's been forever, so we didn't gain anything by it. The commission is seeking what's called the right of consent for Southeast tribes in the permitting process for a dozen operating and proposed mines in British Columbia. It's a higher status than they're currently afforded by the BC government and would allow Southeast Alaska Native people the same rights as First Nations when it comes to free, prior, and informed consent about the impacts of proposed mines. Kirby Muldo, whose Gihsan name is Hapalaksa, works with Skeena Wild, a Canadian conservation trust. As we, as we say about salmon, you know, they know no borders. Standing on a sandy riverbank, Trixie Bennett says Tlingit creation stories center on the waterways of modern-day British Columbia and southeast Alaska. Bennett says her people have held the river in high esteem for generations, but they didn't do it alone. This trip today is just an, another step towards um, reuniting with our cousins up the river. Um, I'm a Tlingit Taltan and up there are the Taltan Clickets. Another few miles upriver and through a winding slough, pale blue icebergs start to dot the water. It's an opportunity to take some photos. Iceberg right, oh, right behind there, us right now. Here, right there. All right, got you guys. <laughs> Lean in a little bit. In front of Shakes Glacier, named for the seven Tlingit chiefs of Wrangell who bore the name Chief Shakes, group members share songs and stories. Like glaciers throughout the world, this one is spectacular and a visible reminder of the changing climate. The face of the glacier has retreated miles down the lake in the last few decades. The mood is exuberant and determined. For some on the trip, it's their first time up the Stikine. For others, it's a part of home. 
Ahsin Esther Reese is the tribal administrator for Wrangell's tribal government, the Wrangell Cooperative Association. When I'm on the river, I can feel our ancestors with us, and I imagine them paddling down these rivers. And it is so extremely important for us to protect the rivers, to have co-management with our brothers and sisters in Canada. And yeah, this, this, we have been here since time immemorial and we've always taken care of the land and will continue to do so. For now, the commission's focus is on getting Southeast tribes participating First Nation status in the SK Creek revitalization project, the proposed reopening of a metals mine in the Eunuch watershed. The draft environmental assessment for the project will come within the next year or two, and at that point, it will be more clear whether BC will allow Southeast tribes a seat at the table. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. The northern British Columbia city of Prince Rupert is looking to an international partner to grow its cruise ship port as the Alaska market continues to expand. The UK-based firm Global Ports Holding announced last week that it has signed a 10-year agreement with an optional 10-year extension with the Prince Rupert Port Authority to manage cruise services. Head of Business Development Colin Murphy says they aim to grow Prince Rupert's tourism sector. One of the challenges they have there is that because the volumes have been reasonably low, it's been difficult for local tour providers and uh, stakeholders to uh, comfortably invest in, um, in improving the guest experience there by providing more tours and more experiences and so on. So that's a point of emphasis for us going forward to help uh, Prince Rupert uh, be more successful. He says the deal doesn't commit Global Ports holding to any infrastructure investments up front, but otherwise declined to discuss the financial terms. Prince Rupert has welcomed about 41,000 cruise passengers this year, and that's expected to double next year. Murphy says the one-berth port has already booked calls from cruise company giants Carnival and Princess. Murphy says he doesn't expect Prince Rupert to grow as large as some of the massive Alaska cruise ports that welcome more than a million passengers each year, at least not for a while. But he says Prince Rupert is poised to take advantage of increasing congestion at existing ports, both in Alaska and farther south. You know, long term, we think all of... uh... Um, the cruise lines are going to be you know, more focused on finding berths for their ships. So having uh, a port in somewhere so close to the Alaskan market as Prince Rupert is for us is, uh, is very key. Murphy says he expects Prince Rupert to serve primarily as a transit port rather than somewhere that passengers start or end their cruises. But he says there has been some interest from smaller cruise operators in making Prince Rupert a turnaround port. Global Ports Holding was one of two companies that bid to take over Ketchikan's port as the community considered a public-private partnership. Ketchikan City Council ultimately rejected the bid and chose to keep the port under city management in a 4-3 to three vote last year. The Prince Rupert deal is a UK company's first investment in the Alaska market. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. 